This episode of Yap is sponsored by Podcast Republic. For once, Android users are getting some love. Podcast Republic is a podcast app where you can discover and subscribe to 1 million shows and enjoy live radio streaming. And with over 85,000 authentic reviews in the Google Play Store, you know they're legit. Podcast Republic has super cool features like trimming silence in your podcast shows to save time, personalized playlists, and the ability to schedule to play your podcast at a specific time. Imagine being able to wake up and start your day with Yap or your other favorite podcasts. If you're an Android user, head over to the Google Play Store to download Podcast Republic, and don't forget to rate and review Young and Profiting Podcast while you're at it. You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests, by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, negotiation coaches, world-famous cartoonists, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of side hustles, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Today on the show, we're chatting with Jonathan Javier. Jonathan is currently the CEO and founder of Juan Salting, an agency that helps students from non-target schools and non-traditional backgrounds get into their dream careers. John's mission is to turn underdogs into winners. Prior to going full-time as an entrepreneur, Jonathan worked at major tech companies like Snapchat, Google, and Cisco. Jonathan has led over 150 plus workshops on topics like LinkedIn and personal branding, and he's also a very sought after corporate speaker with talks at Google, LinkedIn HQ, Lyft, and more. In this episode, we'll uncover John's top hacks for finding a job in the pandemic, and we'll get Jonathan's practical and useful tips for networking both offline and online. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. How's it going? How's it going? I'm very excited to have you on the show. You are a very impressive guy. You're currently the CEO, founder of One Salting, and your mission is to turn underdogs into winners. Previously to that, you were at major tech companies like Snapchat, Google, and Cisco. And with the One Salting Initiative, you've led over 100 workshops around the world. You've hit the stage for almost 100 speaking engagements, if not more. You also have a huge LinkedIn presence. And I really want to deep dive into all of your different recruitment strategies for job seekers. But before that, I want to know a little bit more about your career journey. I feel that everything really started for you in terms of your personal brand and your presence on LinkedIn and all these opportunities with your speaking and workshops since you started Wansulting. So tell us a story about how you thought of starting Wansulting. Like, how did the idea come about? And uh, tell us more about that business in general. Of course. First off, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I really do appreciate it. And I really appreciate you did your research. So that's amazing. I've actually done now over 150 workshops. It's been crazy in the past wow. uh, six months. So I know people are probably wondering, does this guy have a life? Yes, I do. I swear I do. Um, but going back real quick, uh, when I was in college, which was about three, four years ago, I still remember I wanted to work at the big tech companies like the Googles, the Goldman Sachs and the Deloitte's and the Facebooks of the world. But what I thought was that the system told me that I could never make it into those companies because of my background, whether it was coming from a non-target school or just a non-traditional one. So I actually just utilized LinkedIn to get into all my jobs, which I'll talk about later on today too as well, at Snapchat, Google, and Cisco. And I started consulting when I was at Google because I saw that a lot of people were from the big named top schools around the world. And I was from a much smaller school, a school that I didn't get directly recruited from. And I realized that I wanted to bridge that gap between the non-target schools and non-traditional background individuals of the world into those top tech companies. So yeah, now we've helped thousands of people get into their careers, especially during these times during the pandemic. And yeah, our mission is to turn underdogs into winners. 
everybody has their own underdog story. And that's why a lot of people relate to it. I know you have your own underdog story as well. And probably a lot of people do, especially on listening to this podcast. Yeah, totally. So tell us a little bit more about some of these big companies. And are they missing out when it comes to talent by not looking at non-target schools like Harvard and, and other like, you know, really prestigious Ivy League schools? Yeah, I mean, I think so, because, well, it does make sense for companies to recruit from target schools because they usually get their qualified candidates from there. And from the non-target schools, they're great talent. It's just that there's sometimes it's a percentage that's super high up there, but that super high percentage are the ones that be are extremely successful in these companies because of that underdog mentality. I think that's very important because when they get into the companies, they didn't just get it from getting it handed to by their parents or something like that, right? They worked hard to get to where they wanted to be. And that work translates into their actual work at the company. So I feel like that is extremely important, especially with those underdog stories and people who come from non-target schools to be successful. And that's what I've seen, especially like when I was working at Snap, I had some friends uh, who came from target schools, but then other ones from non-target schools. And the ones from the non-target schools were the ones who were actually the most successful and worked the hardest to make sure that everything was good and up to par. Yeah, I can totally, totally relate to that. I went to the New Jersey Institute of Technology, and it's not an Ivy League school. I got my undergrad and my master's there, and I still got a job at Hewlett Packard and Disney Streaming Services, even though I I wasn't a target like a candidate from a target school. But like you said, it's like you work harder, you're more resourceful, you value your job a little bit more, you probably take more initiative, and it's all about like getting your foot in the door. And then usually people who have the motivation, no matter what school they went to, can rise up the ranks like once they actually get in the company. So we'll definitely talk about like how we can do that once we get our foot in the door and and your tips on how to get our foot in the door. And I was going to say too as well, like the difference between target schools and non-target schools is sometimes just simply opportunities. The thing is with non-target schools, you have to make those opportunities happen for you like you did for yourself at HP and Disney. Same for me at Snapchat, Google, and Cisco. So that might just be the difference between the two. Yeah. So as I was reading your story, I realized like we have a lot of similarities. So we're both like big on LinkedIn, considered LinkedIn quote unquote influencers, even though I hate that word. We both worked corporate. You left your corporate job, both worked at top tech companies. Also both started a side hustle, you know, that's generating a lot of noise and business. Tell us about starting your side hustle at your corporate job. What was that like having a side hustle when you, I think you started it when you were at Cisco. How did that feel? Were were people jealous of you? Like, were they accepting of it? And how did you manage your time? Yeah, so I started consulting actually when I was at Google, um, January 2019. Yeah, at first, honestly, people were kind of questioning it in the beginning, Mainly because I had a really bad logo because I <laughs> I just made the logo from scratch out of, out of nothing. But yeah, I basically just decided to do it because there were so many people that would always ask for my help. So I was like, do I want to do this based off myself? Or do I do want to be- base this off a of business. And so when I created the business, I still remember I was like, hey, I'll do free resume revisions for anybody who comments that they want a resume revision. And like hundreds of people commented. So I was like, oh crap, like now I got to actually do this. But yeah. Basically, with consulting and all those different things, it's just been awesome because, yeah, I still remember I was doing a bunch of workshops every single week. Like, I had a workshop every single week, and I was like still at Google, and I would actually drive to universities and organizations, and I do them for free because I wanted to scale out the branding and get them kind of as my followers. And I guess it's just grown ever since, uh, which has been amazing. I just see both our growth, um, especially in our careers, but then also with that side hustle. But yeah, I mean, it, it was, it's been good. And the reason why I left Google to go to Cisco was because I balanced it very much better at Cisco. Um, kind of translated some of the consulting things into Cisco when I did workshops there too as well. Very cool. Very cool. And so what are the biggest lessons that you've learned so far now that you've you know gone full-time, you left your corporate job? Well, actually, let me backtrack. At what point were you like, I have to leave my corporate job. And, and if I want consulting to be successful, I need to actually do this full-time? What, what was that like? Yeah. So my goal was to work in three companies in startup software and hardware before leaving to go full-time. And so what happened was I actually got affected by Cisco uh, COVID-19 layoffs. 
in February. But what happened was they kept me on the team. And I think one of the main factors was that I literally made LinkedIn content. That's what I personally think. Um, but yeah, I was there until July, basically. And then I was like, okay, I might as well just leave to do consulting full time because I already planned to leave in July ish to only be there like a year and then do my business full time. So, but yeah, it's been, it's been a blessing. I've been doing it now, I think a month and a half now so far. And it's been great. We've been partnering with a lot of companies and organizations just to help a lot of students and just the impact that you're able to make, whether it's on one person or a million people, that's what's important to me. And I know it's important to you and so many other people. Yeah. So once you took on this full-time position at your job, were there any like challenges that you faced since then? Or has it just been like smooth sailing since you took the plunge? Yeah. So I think one of the, one of the, the challenges was just balancing everything. And for me personally, like I want to do everything. Right. I, 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 you probably feel the same way too. Like you want to do the marketing, you want to do the program manager, you want to do the partnerships. That's what I felt too as well. But then I realized that if you do all those things, you're just going to be super overwhelmed. So what I did was I brought on one of my best friends, uh, Jerry Lee. He's our COO now. So we've been scaling it out together. And then we also brought on more of a team. I think we have a bunch, a lot of intern. I think 10 interns slash employees now, uh, which has been great. But yeah, I mean, I just had to bring on a team because I realized at the end of the day that you can't do everything. You either do everything or you're going to burn out yeah. or you teach other people how to do it. It's like you're giving the, you either give the fish to someone or you teach the person how to fish. And so that's why I taught the people how to fish. And that's why our, now it's kind of smooth sailing for now. But then we're trying to figure out in regards to more initiatives and more things that we can do to impact our communities. Yeah. So something that my listeners don't really know, unless they've been listening really closely, is that I actually just started a podcast marketing agency like two months ago. And I can totally relate. I scaled my team. I have like almost 27 people on my team right now. And the first two weeks was like so stressful because it was like all these processes. I had to like dump everything in my brain on everyone and like just kind of handhold. I felt like I had to review every single little thing. But once people actually know what they're doing, like you were just saying, like giving them a framework to work from, it's a lot less stressful. And it's just like kind of like letting it run by itself. Like that's the best business you can make is if like you actually don't have to be in it all the time. It's impossible and you'll never scale that way. Facts, facts, all facts right there. (laughs) Yeah. Cool, cool. So let's get into the meat of our interview. You are an expert when it comes to landing a job, right? And so right now we are in a pandemic. The job market sucks. If I could just be blunt, before the pandemic, the unemployment rate was at an all-time low. Now, since August, it was like 15% of workers are jobless right now. So in your opinion, how has the pandemic really shaped the recruitment space? And what challenges do the unemployed have right now in particular? Yeah. So I think that the unemployment rate is extremely high, but there are jobs out there. Just people have to go search for them. But the thing is, what I think what people are doing is they're reaching out to the wrong companies. Meaning, for example, like there are so many companies that are, for example, not doing well, especially during the pandemic that like, for example, let's just say retail, like retail is probably not doing that good. I wouldn't reach out to anybody in specifically people in retail if there's not hiring for any companies or then they're not hiring for any employees. Right. So you first have to identify who are the biggest movers right now. For example, let's say Zoom is doing extremely well. Shopify. Tesla, right? All these different companies, identify them first and then go see on their jobs page exactly what they're specifically recruiting for. And then what you do is you network with the people in those companies, right? So you honestly, you literally just search a position you're interested in, program manager, Tesla, go find them, find a common ground with them, which could be in regards to your school, university, even your background, even your name. I'm serious, Hala. Like I used to do this when I was in college. I would network with people. I'd reach out to the people who had the same name as me. Jonathan, I'd search Jonathan, Google, and I'd network with all the people that named Jonathan at Google. Because <laughs> it's that common ground aspect of it. That's so funny. You can't do that with a name like Hala. <laughs> right? But I mean, no, like if you have a unique name, what I say too is just reach out to people and be like, hey, I saw that you have a unique name and you work at Google. It'd be great to connect. I guarantee no one will do that, but you'll get a good connection. That's smart. That's what I do every single time. So that's what I'd recommend. Yeah. 
Let's dig deep on the common ground thing. Why is establishing common ground so important? And what other tips do you have in terms of establishing common ground? And not only for uh, LinkedIn, but how about offline as well? Yeah. So I think common ground is extremely important because it gets you more comfortable. And then you don't just talk about work. You talk about things outside of work. So for example, Hala and I have the same kind of background and story, right? But another thing we do, do have in common as well is, of course, we're both human. So we everybody has common ground technically. But another thing is we have the same mic, right? That's why actually before this podcast, I asked Kala, what kind of mic you have? Because I realized that she did most likely had a Yeti mic. But do you see that common ground aspect between the both of us now? Now that we have those three things in common, right? And we've only been talking for like five minutes, see? So that's important because it breaks the ice. I think that's extremely important to do. Another piece of the common ground specifically on LinkedIn is, of course, the same mutual connections. But the thing is, what I say all the time is you can network so easily by doing something simply just like this. So for example, let's say I make a post, right? Let's just say I talk about a LinkedIn strategy specifically on how to get into Facebook. What happens is most of the people that like and comment on my things are people from Facebook or people in tech. So what you do is you go comment on it or you go like it, and then you go look at the likes and comments, and then you go find people who work at the companies you're interested in. And guess what? Now we have the common ground because you both commented on my post and now you can reach out to the person saying, hey, I saw that you commented on Jonathan's post. I did too. It'd be great to connect. That's a common ground piece strategy for LinkedIn. Another one too as well for in-person. For in-person. So I'll give you give two for in-person because I gave a, LinkedIn, a lot of LinkedIn strategies right there. One for virtual. So I have these posters behind me, right? They each have a motivational quote on it. So the one says greatness, one says change, one says goal. The reason why I have these posters in the back is not because I want them. It's because every time I speak with someone, it breaks the ice because they always ask about the posters. About 75% of people will ask about it. And I'll be like, oh yeah, which one is your favorite? They'll tell me which one is their favorite. And then I'll tell them which one is my favorite. But then I'll tailor it towards the company that they're working at. So then it breaks the ice and we talk about posters for five minutes. That's one part specifically for virtual virtual interviewing or virtual conversations that you can do. In person, what I say all the time, research them before. Everybody, you can find people before events, not after them. Don't add them before the event because what happens is everybody will add them after the event. You have to think in ways where you're like, okay, what am I going to do that nobody else is doing? So what I'd say is, mm-hmm. reach How out to them, stand out? right? Exactly. How to stand out. So reach out to them before the event. Then when you connect with them, you go meet them at the event or virtually or in person. Then after you send a follow-up, because then most people are going to be in the personalized invites or whatever, you're going to be the one person who isn't. And that's when you build that rapport before. So those are the two things I'd recommend. Hopefully that's yeah. helpful. <laughs> Yeah, super helpful. And I, I'd love to get into more networking tips later on. But I really want to stick on people who don't have jobs right now, especially those who have been impacted by COVID-19. So how about the people who have lost their job or who have been furloughed? Should they like be quiet about it? Is it something they should be embarrassed about? What, what do you suggest that they do in order to help them secure their next job? Post about it on LinkedIn, 100%. But the thing is, don't just say, hi, I'm open to work. Please connect with me. You should have an ask and a call to action for each of your posts. So if I were someone who got foreloaded or laid off, I literally have the structure of the first part being, I unfortunately got laid off or affected by COVID-19 layoffs. The second part would be in regards to a story of yourself or of you at the company. And the third part would be in regards to what you're looking forward to getting into next. I think that's very important because then your whole community will then be like, oh, like, uh, let me go help this person. Another part that's important too as well, in the post, you tag people who helped you in your career, but strategic in a way where they work at the companies you are specifically interested in. So for example, honestly, everybody listening in right now, after listening to this podcast, I want you to tag me and Hala and tag the podcast too as well. Post about a LinkedIn, your, your takeaways, right? Or you can post about, you know, you, maybe you got affected by, by layoffs as well. What happens is this, Tala and I have over 100,000 followers combined, over 100,000 followers easily combined. All of our followers are going to see it. And then guess what? 
maybe one of those 100,000 followers will be a person who works at a company you are interested in. And then guess what? We're tying in that common ground. The common ground is that they viewed your profile. You go reach out to them and say, hey, I saw you viewed your pro- my profile. It'd be great to connect. That's how you do it. That's why I recommend people to make those posts because you never know if it will go viral or blow up. But then people will go to you and be like, oh, what are you interested in getting into? And that's when you have your informational interviews and phone chats. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that people who have been affected by COVID-19, people have sympathy for you. You know, people want to do good and want to help people. And so if they see your post, they're going to be more inclined to help than compared to somebody who randomly lost their job or it wasn't because of the pandemic. So the next question I have is really about minority employees and specific strategies that they can take. I know that over the past 10 years, the unemployment rate among Black workers has often been double. So from the start, even before the pandemic, the Black community had it worse when it came to finding a job, recruitment, for many different factors. So what's your advice to them on standing out and securing a a job? Yes, of course. So I I work with a lot of underrepresented communities, whether Hispanic, African-American, et cetera. What I'd recommend to them, especially for working at big companies, identify employee resource groups. Here's why you identify employee resource groups is this exactly what I did to network with people at Google. So what I did was I'd identify what the ERG, which is what they're called, at the different companies. I'd identify which one that I identify with whether it's in regards to, for example, being Hispanic, being African-American, being a woman in tech, I'd identify those. What I do is I'd go look on their company websites and look for the people who are on the page. So what I did was when I was trying to, when I was at Google, I go to Asian Google network. I go look at the people who are on the page. I go find everybody who's Asian. And then I go reach out to them. Same with black Google network and, and Ola, which is the Hispanic one. If you're, if you're African-American, go look at it. Go look at Black Googler Network. You will find all the people who are in that ERG. And your common ground is that you're both the same ethnicity and race, which means that you can be able to help one another, right? Because I would feel more inclined to, of course, help other people who come from my similar background. So that's what I'd recommend for people if they're trying to network. That is extremely important because that diversity and inclusion aspect and that community part is extremely important to a lot of people, especially during these times. Like for Juan Salting, we're trying to empower as many people as we can. And we love helping everybody, to be honest. And we're going to continue doing it, of course. Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely amazing advice. And we have that in common as well. I know you were involved in your employee resource group. At HP, I was like president of the Young Employee Network and on the global board and all this stuff. And so it was so impactful for my career. And people who are in ERGs and are in leadership position in ERGs are some of the most influential people within the company. They've got a lot of pull because they're the ones that know the top executives because they're doing presentations, even if they're not a high-level employee. They're the ones doing presentations with the CEO and the CMO and asking for budget and things like that. And so they have a lot of pull. So that's a great, great point. I love that. So on the flip side, the pandemic has a lot of disadvantages for the workforce. You know, there's there's less jobs. But like you said, there are jobs available. Are there any other advantages that you can think of when it comes to job seekers right now in the pandemic? Yeah. LinkedIn stories. (laughs) They just released LinkedIn stories. (laughs) Right. And the reason why I'm saying LinkedIn stories is because if you are a job seeker right now, you should be utilizing LinkedIn stories as best as you can to number one, market yourself and number two, network. Right. So what I would be doing if I was a job seeker and I was affected by COVID-19 layoffs or I'm just looking for a job is I'd put on my story exactly what I'm looking for. I'd post about it on my story. What's happening right now is everybody's looking at LinkedIn stories like everybody because they're like, oh, my gosh, this is new. It's the same thing that what happened with TikTok, right? Everyone's on TikTok because it is new. Same thing that happened with LinkedIn stories. Everyone's looking at their stories, et cetera. I personally don't look at LinkedIn stories that often because I just get super busy, but a lot of other people are looking at them. Why you do this is you post it, you wait 23 hours right before it ends, you go look at the viewers, and now you go to see exactly how who viewed it. Imagine one of those people work at the companies you're interested in. Go reach out to them. Be like, hey, you know, I, I saw that you viewed my my story in regards to what I'm trying to get into in my career, what did you think? Now you can start a conversation between the two of you and you could possibly get into your dream career just from that. So I'd recommend that strategy specifically for LinkedIn stories. Another thing as well, like if you see another person who's been affected by COVID-19 layoffs 
and their post is going viral, or if their post is getting a lot of engagement, go look at the comments. There's probably recruiters there too as well who are trying to help this other person. They could probably help you too. So those are two different things that I'd recommend for people mm, that's to That's so smart. Mm-hmm. So smart. You've got such creative strategies. And that's because you're resourceful. Um, it all goes back to resourcefulness. And it all goes back to creativity. You don't need to pay. It, it can just be creative strategies to get what you want. Let's switch gears and talk about rejection. A lot of job seekers, they get rejected over and over again, whether they feel like nobody's reading their resume or they don't get the interview or they get the interview and they get rejected. And it can really hurt your confidence and and hurt your ability to kind of get back up on the horse. Through my research, I found out that you actually got rejected quite a lot. You interviewed for Goldman Sachs twice and you didn't get the offer. Your dream job was to work at LinkedIn, but even though you made it to final rounds, you didn't get the offer. You got into Snapchat, but you were outsourced after six months. You got into Google after your third try, but you exhibited imposter syndrome and left. And you got into Cisco, but got affected by COVID-19, like you mentioned previously. So based on your resume, people might think, oh my gosh, he just had every job in the world and he got everything that he wanted. But it took a lot of strikeouts for you to get there. So talk to us about that and talk to us about how, like your formula for handling rejection. Yeah, what I say all the time, and I know a lot of people say this now, it's rejection is redirection. But what I'm going to add another layer to is rejection is redirection if you react to it in the right way. The reason being is this, especially it's all about mindset. Because when you get rejected, are you going to be doing the same thing over and over again, which is applying to roles and get the same results? Or are you going to do something different that nobody else is doing? So that's why I say this, because I still remember I was applying to hundreds of roles get rejected from a lot of them because of, you know, my school wasn't a target school and I didn't have a lot of good experience or applicable experience. So then I realized that you have to do something different than what you're doing if you keep getting rejected. So what I actually did was, and I recommend this to anybody, is I created a project in class that was tailored towards Snapchat, basically printed it out, went to my interview, and I put it into a yellow folder because Snapchat was yellow, went to the interview, did really well in the case study, killed it. The two hiring managers were like, how the heck did you know our whole entire system? I pulled out the yellow folder with my project in it and my resume and I gave it to them. And I was like, oh yeah, I did my, I did your whole project in class utilizing geolocation technology. They literally hired me 30 minutes later. That's basically how I got the job at Snap and how I didn't get rejected anymore. But the reason why I, sh- I share this is not to flex or anything. <laughs> it's to show people that you have to think outside the box, especially when you're networking or going into these interviews, because you have to think, there's probably a lot of other people going for it, but how are you different? Are you, everyone might have the same experience, but do you have the same work ethic? Do you have the same projects? Probably not. That's how you stand out, and that's how you turn those rejections into redirections and ultimately get into your dream career. Yeah, I think I think that's really great advice. I mentioned just a moment ago how you had imposter syndrome when you first got to Google and you left after six months. So tell us what happened. Why, like, what did you feel when you got there? And how did you make the decision to leave and not just stick it out? What happened there? This is a great question. I love talking about this because it's something that people don't talk about, especially when working at these companies. Because, Holly, you've probably seen a lot of people are always like, hey, I want to work at Google. I want to work at Facebook. I want to work at Disney, all these companies, right? But the thing is, they don't know the exact culture or how people feel when working at these companies. They could have the best experience. They could have the worst. Uh, My experience was good was good for the most part. But with imposter syndrome, the reason why I talk about this all the time is because in all transparency, a lot of people would only talk to me because I worked at Google. So when I was trying to, and I don't know if this experience with you as well, because you work at Disney, but a lot of people would all just be like, hey, tell me more about how you got into Google. The crazy part was, is that it wasn't just on LinkedIn. It was in person. It was when I was at happy hours. It was when I was with family and friends. It would literally just be like, hey, how's Google? This ultimately, why this affected me was because it increased my ego. I'm just being super transparent. It increased my ego because I was like, man, like I'm the Google guy who got in from UC Riverside, right? But the thing is like a company, (laughs) right? But the thing is a company should not define a person. The person is defined by their character. And that's what I realized for myself. I was like, do I want to be known for the guy who works at Google or the guy who started his own company and helped other people get there? And that's the reason why I actually left because of that aspect to empower other people to get into those companies. And if they want to work at those companies, perfect. That's my dream for you, right? 
But the thing is, do not conform to society norms in which they say, hey, go work at these top companies because we say so. Work at these companies because of the values and and truly because you want to work there. So that's what I would say in regards to people who want to work at these companies. And that's why I actually left to go to Cisco because then I could balance the two. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They're in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You wanna get them in the right mindset. You wanna cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who wanna try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you wanna make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you wanna claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Yap fam, starting my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass was one of the best things I've ever done for my business. I didn't have to waste time figuring out all the nuts and bolts of setting up a website that had everything I needed, like a way to buy my course, subscription offerings, chat functionality, and so on, because it was super easy with Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your first product, finally taking your side hustle full-time, or making half a million dollars from your masterclass like me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered as you scale. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to other options out there. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, from huge shoe brands like Allbirds to vegan cosmetic brands like Thrive Cosmetics. Actually, back on episode 253, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Thrive Cosmetics, Carissa Bodnar, and she told me about how she set up her store with Shopify and it was so plug and play, her store exploded right away. Even for a makeup artist type girl with no coding skills, it was easy for her to open up a shop and start her dream job as an entrepreneur. That was nearly a decade ago. And now it's even easier to sell more with less thanks to AI tools like Shopify Magic. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. So you can focus on the important stuff, the stuff you like to do. Because businesses that grow Grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. If you wanna start that side hustle you've always dreamed of, if you wanna start that business you can't stop thinking about, if you have a great idea, what are you waiting for? Start your store on Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting shopify.com slash profiting for $1 per month trial period. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. This episode of Yap is sponsored by Podcorn, a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing sponsorship opportunities. So many podcasters ask me how I monetize my podcast, and my answer is always Podcorn when it comes to sponsorships. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose sponsorship proposals right from the platform. You set your own rates and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. The best part is with Podcorn, there's no middleman. 
I've worked with boutique ad agencies and I'm either paid late or not at all. It's a terrible experience. But with Podcorn, I can rest easy that I'll be protected and compensated for any reads that I do. You'll never give up any rights to your podcast, and the great folks at Podcorn are there to help every step of the way. And if you're a brand looking to get your story exposed, Podcorn could be a great avenue for you. Reach consumers who aren't just tuning in to tune out. Podcast listeners are actively engaged, making your ads super effective compared to other methods. Find the right voices and get matched to podcasts that fit your brand. Head over to podcorn.com to learn more. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can relate everything that you say and like so many of your experiences, I could just relate to you so much. With Disney streaming services, I find the same thing. Everybody's always asking me, how did you get into Disney streaming services? And if my listeners notice, I don't talk about being at Disney like too much. In fact, when I was at HP, I was a lot more like vocal about working at HP and like kind of their face of the young employees. And at Disney, I've kind of taken a backside because I agree with you. You can't have a corporation if it's not your own, be your identity. Because then if something happens, you lose your identity. If you get fired or if something happens, all of a sudden you lose your identity. So it's more important to build your personal brand or your own thing that's yours. I was going to say Holly too as well. I was going to say, to be real, I didn't even know you worked at Disney six months ago. I just knew you from your podcast. And that just shows exactly, for example, yeah. I'm, I'm hyping you up, Holly, because you should be hyped up. But just knowing you from your podcast and not knowing you because of Disney, but because of your podcast... That is what exactly what I want to do specifically for one soul team. So that's if anybody ever wants to start their own business, definitely do that. And what I say all the time is be an entrepreneur because then you can just leave your corporate job and then go to uh, working at your own and you learn the processes from those corporate companies because they've been successful already. Totally. I totally agree. Like we mentioned previously, you went to a lot of interviews that didn't necessarily pan out, a lot of failed interviews, a lot of great interviews. So what did you learn from some of these experiences and how can people get better at interviewing? In these interviews that I failed at, I talked too much. (laughs) Why I say this is because (laughs) I literally would babble. And this is what I recommend to people. You, if you don't know the answer to a question, do not just wing it and just go into it. Tell the interviewer like, hey, could you give me 30 seconds to write my answers down so I can give you a structured format? It's very important to do this because a lot of people don't think you can do this, but you can. But don't do it every question. Just do it for some questions you truly don't know the answer to. So when I did this, I'd structure my questions and answers into star format. And that's when I got a structure of how to specifically convey my experiences so yeah, I remember when I was at Goldman Sachs, I was talking so much that the guy was like, okay, we're good now. <laughs> right? So you, you literally... You what's, make, what's a star format? Star format. Yeah. Situation, task, action, result. It's very important to do. So for example, I'll just give an example. Like, let's just say, tell me about a time you worked on a team project and someone wasn't pulling their own weight. So the situation would be, let's just say Google. A time that I was doing this was at Google. My task was, so your task is, what were you going to do to ultimately help that person pull their own weight? The action steps are the action steps you took to get that person to do X, Y, Z. And the results is what happened due to you doing all this, all these. I think that star format is extremely important because your answer is then in one minute, 30 seconds, two minute, 30 seconds, which is kind of the sweet spot. So I'd recommend doing that format for anybody who's doing interviews and it's behavioral ones. Hmm. I think that's good advice. Another uh, piece of advice, I was like, you know, stalking your LinkedIn or reading all your posts. You go and you find people who have similar roles at the company that you're applying for. And I think you actually called up like customer service or something one time to find out more information about a role or something. Tell us about that story. That's right. Oh my gosh. This is a a great story. So when I was interviewing at Google, uh, I was interviewing for like a sales operations role. So it was for ads. So I was like, okay, Cause I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the interview. Uh, like maybe I'll do good. Maybe I'll do bad. But I was like, why don't I just go call them? Because they gave me the questions. They gave me some of the questions to prepare for. So I was like, why don't I just take these questions and go ask the person who's in my role currently right now, how they would react. So what I did was I called Google ads. I found it on Google. Of course I called them. I pretended I was a customer. So I pretended I had my own business. One thing was not started yet. Had my own business. Just pretended. I was like, yeah, it's just Jonathan services. Pretended, and then what I did was I pretended I was a disgruntled and customer. I was like, "Man, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to work with you anymore." They're like, "Oh, why not?" Blah blah blah. 
And so I saw the reaction to the person. And what I did was I took my phone, I put it on my desk and I recorded the whole thing so I could go back to it and see how they react to every single part. And so when I had my questions in my interview, I literally replicated the exact way that they did it on the phone. So that's how I did it basically. And that's how I got past my actually first rounds of interviews uh, at Google. Wow, that's amazing. See, it's really like, again, creativity, resourcefulness. It costs no money. I have a, a pretty similar story for Disney streaming services. I am, you know, in email marketing and mobile messaging. I've always been a marketer, but I've never done email. And obviously, Disney streaming is only going to hire like best of the best. And I remember that I studied email, took courses on email marketing, read every article that I could. Um, one of their assignments was like some spreadsheet workbook on analytics that we had to do. And I actually like hired someone to help me learn because I like didn't, I never had done a pivot table before that, that time because I wasn't really in analytics. I used to do dashboards and stuff, but like I never really worked in Excel and like they were really Excel heavy. And I just learned how to do it and I crushed it, you know? And it's like, you can figure it out along the way. You don't have to be an expert, you know? You just have to be willing to learn and put in the work and get up to speed very quickly. Like once you know what it's about and what the role is about, if you get the interview, just try your best to study and get up to speed as quick as you can. I, that's the best advice I can give. I was going to, I was going to say too, as well, I did something very similar with Excel. What I did was because Google on their responsibilities, it said advanced at Excel. So I was like, okay. So what I did was I bought a class on Groupon for five bucks, took the class, just learned all of Excel. And then when they asked me, do you have Excel experience? I was like, yeah, I took a class. <laughs> Yeah. And then you, then you like know the words. It's all about knowing the lingo. That's the other thing. It's like knowing the words that the industry uses so that you can sound like, you know what you're talking about. And then you can figure out everything else later. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We're on the same page. Let's talk about networking again. Um, you've got amazing tips for networking and, you know, networking and, and, pruning your network, uh, making sure that you keep in touch. You actually have a very touching story about one of your first managers at Kohl's. His name was Alfonso. Tell us about your relationship with Alfonso and how what you learned from him and how you tended that relationship. Of course. You know what's so crazy, Allah? I posted this on TikTok yesterday. It's going viral right now. It has over 500,000 views oh. right now. <laughs> so um, I didn't even know you were on TikTok. I, I, I literally That's just started awesome. last week. And it's been blowing up like crazy. So, um, yeah. So Alfonso, he's a great guy. He was, so yeah, four years ago when I was interning for store management slash operations intern at Kohl's, I was, I was stationed at his store, which is in Kohl's Cerritos. And yeah, I still remember my first day. This is when I knew nothing about first impressions. My first day, I still remember I went to the gym before and then I went into the Kohl's and I was just wearing a t-shirt and I had my dress clothes, but I was going to go change in the fitting room. I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, what the heck? So the thing was like when I was in a, yeah, when I was in college, I really couldn't afford like new clothes, like new professional clothes, for example, because I was also helping pay tuition, helping paying rent, et cetera. So what I did was I borrowed my dad's clothes and they're super big. Like they're, they're not, they're not fit. Like, you know, how people have it all tailored and stuff, not fit at all. So yeah, I still remember going for two weeks, my first two weeks, I was wearing those clothes and Alfonso actually noticed this. So he, what he did was in one of our one-on-ones, took me to the fitting room and he's like, Hey, Jonathan, look at, look in the mirror. And I was like, okay. So I looked in the mirror and he's like, tell me, what do you think of, what do you think of this impression when a customer sees you? And then I was like, Oh, I don't think it's a good one. I mean, it looks kind of baggy. And he's like, why, 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 why is that? And then I personally, I told him transparently. I was like, yeah, honestly, I can't afford, like I can't afford new clothes um, because I just, I've just been paying for everything else. So what he did was he actually gave me this huge discount, uh, which was like the biggest discount uh, that Kohl's can give, which was almost like 70, I believe it was 70 to 75% off everything. And so what I did was this is the first time I ever bought clothes from Kohl's and everything. I still have it. It's so funny, Hala. I still use the same clothes to this day. It's been three years, four years. I haven't bought any new dress clothes. I still use it to this day. I bought a suit, long sleeve pans, everything. I literally bought all of them at Kohl's. I'm a very minimalist guy. People always wonder why, what the heck do you ever wear anything else besides one salting? To be honest, I probably don't. Very minimalist in regards to clothing, but 
But yeah, that's the things he taught me were number one, first impressions are extremely important. That's why I tell you like all the strategies are all about first impressions because that sets the precedent for everything. Number two, he taught me about, you know, balancing work and hard work really does pay off at the end of the day. And then last but not least, grit. I still remember that role had a lot of things in regards to grit because I didn't know everything exactly. But the thing was, I kept going and tried to keep learning. Oh, and then another thing as well, relationships are extremely important. I've stayed in touch with Alfonso every year, except I skipped one year because I moved to the Bay. So he was wondering, and it was crazy. Quick story. He was actually a stole the store manager. My sister was interviewing there. I didn't even know she was interviewing. She called me. She's like, yeah, I interviewed for the Cerritos, Cerritos location. I was like, I interned there. So what happened was he found out and he actually hired her on the spot, which is crazy. So I'm telling you, relationships are so important. You never know when what's going to happen in the future, but always keep those strong and always stay up to date with everybody. I love that. I think that's so sweet that you kept in touch with him. Like I read that like every, you used to always bring him like a holiday card and cookies or something every year. That's so nice. Um, and he seems like such a nice guy to have like hooked you up when you needed it. Exactly. Yeah. So I interviewed uh, Jordan Harbinger. He's one of the biggest podcasters in the world. And he taught me something really awesome. He always talks about dig the well before you're thirsty. And what he means by that is start your connections before you need them, not afterwards, not after you lose your job. You want to establish those connections before you need them. Uh, He also says that your network is your best insurance policy. In his case, he actually was on this very popular podcast. It was called The Art of Charm. Was a multi-million dollar training business as well. And he got kicked out. And all of a sudden, his like his friends kicked him out. And he was like the main person of the show, but somehow they kicked him out. I don't know the logistics behind it. And he was left with nothing. So he lost his business, he lost his podcast, and all of a sudden he had to start all over again. He quickly realized he wanted to start the Jordan Harbinger show. And so he used his network to become a big podcast again. He put out a message soliciting all his contacts to help him launch this new show. And then within two months, it was like the biggest podcast. And it's like way surpassed Art of Charm, his previous podcast. And is like was like the number one podcast on Apple 2018. So it just goes to show like how important your network is. Can you talk to us about your opinion in terms of pruning your network before you actually need them and maybe some strategies around that? I love that. I love that a lot because I, I listened to Art of Charm and I know who that is. I was like, wait, oh my gosh. I, I listen to it all the time. Oh. Yeah. So when I was especially driving to to corporate, so shout out to him. But yeah, strategy that I would say is yes, I totally agree with that because what happens is this, especially in the job search, a position opens, let's just say Google APM program, which is the associate product manager role, it opens, and then you start networking, right? That's what most people will do. When the position opens, then you start networking. You have to do it before because everybody else is going to do that. What's going to happen is this. Would you rather have a process where it's number one, you've networked with someone and their position isn't open yet. You go on a call with them, you build rapport. And then when the position opens, you can literally go ask for a referral. Or would you rather, for example, literally the position opens, you get on the call with them, you build rapport. And then you have to ask for a referral later on and then the position closes. That's why it's important to build that relationship before. Because what I say all the time is the best time to look for a job is when you have a job and is when you're not even looking. All right. So that's why it's important to maintain those relationships because you never know when you might need someone or might need help. That's why like how I last week, I actually sent 500 messages to everybody that I've stayed in contact with for the past. I've been doing this for five years and stay in contact with the same people. I literally send them an update every quarter about what I'm up to. And people wonder why I do that. It's because it's that relationship building and they've all been on my speaker series. Literally, they all work at the big companies because I was wondering, how the heck do you get all these companies? Literally because of that. Relationships are important. They matter. And hopefully they matter to everybody listening in. I think that is such a key point right there. It's reaching out to your contacts so that they don't actually become dead relationships. When you need somebody and you, let's say you lost your job. If you reach out to like an old manager from 10 years ago, you never kept in touch with, they're going to be like, I kind of remember you. Like, like, I know you were good, but who knows what you've done in the past 10 years. 
why are you reaching out to me? You haven't really checked up on me in 10 years. And you're not going to get anywhere. That's why it's so important to, to write a list of every influential person that you want to keep in contact with and have some sort of cadence for you to reach out to them. That's what all like the master networkers really do. And Jordan Harbinger has something similar too. Something that in case you guys haven't listened to that episode, he talks about something called Connect Four. And what Jordan does is every day he goes into like his text messages or WhatsApp and he scrolls down, scrolls down, and he just starts a conversation with like the the last four, like four people that he hasn't talked to in a long time. Just anybody who's in his text or a group text or whatever it is. And that works for him. It helps him kind of like keep everybody kind of fresh and up to date. So you guys might want to try that as well. I love that. That's smart. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you've got amazing strategies and advice. So thank you. How about once we've made a connection with someone, somebody accepted our LinkedIn request, we use some of those common ground tactics that you were talking about before. What's some of the mistakes that they make off the bat? Like, what do you do once you get that connection and what shouldn't you do? So a mistake that people make is they don't follow up. They think that you send a personalized invite and then they'll respond. Most people actually won't respond because they're super busy or they just click connect, 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 or accept, right? So you have to follow up. And you have to follow up like within the day, I think it's very important. Just follow up saying, hey, you know, thanks for adding me on LinkedIn. I appreciate it. And then go into your little pitch or your little story. That's very important because yeah, a lot of people, like they said before, don't follow up. Another part too as well is it's okay if people do not respond. I see this all the time. I think what happens nowadays is that people dwell on the individuals that don't respond versus the ones who do. Reach out to 100 people. If 99 don't respond, who cares? If one person does, that's what matters. Are you going to focus on the 99 99 people who don't respond or the one person who does? That one person could make the difference in the world, especially in your career. So that's what it all takes. It's that mindset piece, like I said before, right? You might get rejected from 99 companies, but you might get one offer. That's what matters. It doesn't matter about the 99. Same thing with messaging. You might send 99 message, might only get one response. And if a person does not respond, you move on. It's that simple. Don't dwell on it. Dwell on the future instead. Young and profiters. Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting. And support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and Profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance. 
the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. I love that. Great strategies. Let's move on to personal branding because I think that's something else that you're really an expert on. I saw that recently you posted that you were nominated for the Forbes 30 Under 30. That is incredible. Congratulations. And I saw that you posted about it and you post about your wins quite often, but you do it in a way that it doesn't seem like it's bragging. Can you tell us about your formula in in regards to showing like progress and and success stories, but without looking like you're bragging? How do you do it? Yes, of course. I, I love LinkedIn posts and LinkedIn content because it's basically like, I just love the community and everybody who's a part of it. So what I say all the time is when you're making posts, especially for like announcements or things like that, put some value into there of how you did it or just put a story where people could relate to. I think what happens is people just simply do this. I'm happy to announce that I got a job at Deloitte. Thank you, everybody. That's it, right? But the thing is, you want to give value to other people of number one, how did you get to where you are now or how did you get to where you got that position because then you empower other people to do the same this is why i stress to people all the time that's how you get more engagement on the post because if people see that they're like oh wow this person is very humble this person gives back to the community and this person wants to help me get into the company too as well so that's one part of it specifically with personal branding number two each of my posts actually have a back story or strategy behind it people think that they know the strategy when in fact Sometimes they don't, but I'll give you an example, right? Uh, Grace Hopper. So Grace Hopper celebration, the post was in regards to what I would do if I was at Grace Hopper. Obviously, I'm not, I haven't been there. I'm not, uh, I don't identify as a woman. But what happened was the reason why I posted this was number one, Grace Hopper was happening the next week. Number two, what I did was I found everybody who was a part of Grace Hopper. They saw my post. Number three, I got reached out to by Grace Hopper to speak next year. Right. So those are the three things that I did. And I just tagged them in it. And then what I did was number four, I did a prep session the next week because I found all the people in number two that were attending Grace Hopper that were professionals and recruiters. I brought them onto this, onto LinkedIn and then did a prep session. And then what's even crazier is number five. I didn't know this was going to happen. The career fair got canceled at Grace Hopper. So what I did was literally partnered with Glimpse and Y Combinator to do a career fair. The next day after they said it was canceled. So then you have all those things. I have all the people from Grace Hopper. I have the speakers, the professionals, the students. And then now I have the career fair. That's how you, I grew all the following because the way that people are able to view the career fair, they have to follow on Sultan. <laughs> right? So that's exactly how. That's amazing. That's exactly how I did it. But that's the kind of the back end strategy of everything because I try to think. I don't care. I, like engagement's cool. But like the thing is, like if it's able to get to that goal that I set to it, that's what matters. Yeah, that's so smart. You are such a smart, creative guy. Seriously. Let's talk about your speaking gigs. We've mentioned previously, you've had like almost or over 100 speaking engagements. You spoke at Google, LinkedIn, Cisco, Lyft, Samsung, Microsoft, TEDx. These are huge. I want to get into speaking myself. I'm not I've done a few things. I'm, I'm going to be at Propelify Tech Innovation Festival. And so that's cool. Definitely not like anywhere close to you yet. So tell us, like, how did you get into speaking and how did you learn how to speak really well? Because you you have a great stage presence. You do really great talks. Like, what was your process like in terms of being a speaker? Yeah, first off, everybody who's listening in, Hala's going to be on one of our Wants Holding speaker series. So y'all better follow Wants Holding and check her out because she's going to kill it. So I'm just, I'm just saying that. <laughs> Number two, so... Um, yeah, so how I got into speaking was I accidentally got into it uh, when I was a senior in college. Basically, I was doing a lot of uh, just helping a lot of people. And one of the organizations that I was a part of was like, hey, do you want to come speak on LinkedIn? And that's when I spoke. There's only 10 people. It's totally fine, right? 
But the thing is, it's crazy, Hala. 95%, actually 99% of my speaking engagements, I don't reach out for. Literally, they usually reach out to me. And I think that's a good and a bad thing because like I should be like, that's why I hired like kind of a, a program manager too to kind of do some reach outs and some partnerships. But most of them are reaching out to me just through LinkedIn. So LinkedIn has helped a tremendous amount, not only for getting my jobs, but all my speaking engagements. Like the ones I told you for LinkedIn, TEDx, all those were through LinkedIn. But basically, just to tie back, how you get into speaking engagements is number one, just talk about the speaking engagements that you've done on LinkedIn and post about it. And then go tag the people who were specifically inviting you. Because what happens is they usually know other people who would invite you to as well. So they'd bring you on. So that's one part. Number two, participate in speaker series on virtual, virtually. That's why, for example, like Hala, I guarantee you that you will get hit up a lot after being on our speaker series by a lot of people asking you to speak. Reason being is I, it happens all the time to every one of my speakers. And that's why I tell the speaker, like, be prepared because you're going to have hundreds of people add you, but then you're also going to get invites to speak at other places. So that's number two. So speaking at some large, large events. Number three, honestly, utilizing your background, utilizing your story. If you have a relatable story, which we do, that's very important. Another part is you have the credibility. Like for example, Holly, you work at Disney and HP. I worked at Google, Cisco, and Snap. We have the credibility of, okay, these people have been able to build their own companies and they've been able to work at these top corporate companies. Same for people who are trying to get speak engagements. Your credibility matters and you can build credibility if you don't work at a company, just build your own credibility by speaking for free at different places. So yeah, that's what I would say about how you get speak engagements. How I got better at them is being very engaging with the audience. I always ask questions. On my LinkedIn Live, my first question is always, where's everybody tuning in from? First question every single time. Another thing is getting them involved. So why I ask that question is because then I'll shout them out. I'll be like, all right, oh, I see uh, I see Jonathan from New York. I see Marcus from uh, New Jersey, whatever, right? Because then they feel valued and they feel like, oh, wow, I'm getting listened to or I'm actually on the screen. So that is a part that I gain the confidence in. Number two, the first impressions, the icebreaker. I always try to put an icebreaker in the beginning or just making a statement, just being like, hey, y'all, how's everybody doing? And get everybody else comfortable. Because if you get the room comfortable, it ultimately translates back to you. So I think that's very important. But yeah, I mean, my speaking games, I've spoken in Jordan. I flew out to Jordan. I was one of the youngest speakers there. How I got that was from LinkedIn. I was super nervous. But then I realized that I don't get nervous anymore because I realized that the words that you say, it's impactful. All about mindset. Are you thinking, oh my gosh, what are these people thinking of me in a negative way? Or are you thinking, how am I going to impact all the hundreds of people that are going to be here today? That's how you do it. Yeah. Wow, you read my mind. My Literally, my next question was, I love the way you start off your LinkedIn lives. <laughs> what are your tips to get an engaged crowd? So to your point, you ask them where their location is so that they can engage, uh, start typing, and then you you can shout them out, make them feel involved. You also ask them for their energy levels. What's your energy level? One to 10. And if they say two, you'll say, you got to work on that. And that's so important because it's like you feed off the energy of the crowd. And it's a really smart tactic that you do. For me, I, I haven't done like, you know, so many speaking engagements on stage, but I keep getting invited to other podcasts. So that's helping me practice. It's just like telling my story over and over again on other podcasts. But yeah, I would love to, like, did you take like any courses in terms of speaking or did you always like just have a good presence and ability to speak without saying like ums and uhs and, and, and kind of like doing it as good as you do it today? Like, did you take classes or courses for that? I took none, <laughs> no courses at all. I've literally just been, I just practiced myself. And I think it also comes from doing a lot of workshops, but then also just knowing the content extremely well now. So now I just kind of flows really well. And I feel like that ultimately translates because I still remember when I was in college and different things, I try to wing things. And that's when I got nervous because I didn't know anything about the content. When people ask me questions, I'd be like, oh crap, like, I don't know how to answer it. Right. But if you know the content really well and you know you're passionate about it and you can feel that passion, that's what stands out, especially when you're speaking, because then people are like, oh, this person knows what they're talking about. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say I never took a class, but uh, if y'all y'all are interested in learning more about public speaking, honestly, just let, hit me up and let me know. Thank you. That 
that's very generous of you. Okay, so last question before we close this out. I heard about your most popular LinkedIn post. It got almost 45,000 likes or something like that. Tell us about that post and why you think it went so viral. Yeah, I, I think it went viral because, and it, the post was about my career journey basically from getting rejected and then getting into the corporate companies. But yeah, I think it went viral was number one is very relatable to a lot of people. So I think that's what really triggered it because people are like, oh, wow, like if this guy can do it, I can too. Number two, Jeff Weiner actually shared it, which was the CEO of LinkedIn. He actually shared it. He shared the, it's kind of funny. Someone shared it and then he shared the share of that other person. So it was kind of, it was interesting. <laughs> and it still so, went crazy. <laughs> right. So it went crazy. So I was like, that's why I was like, what the heck? Why are there so many people liking it? I was, I was very confused. Um, but yeah, I think that's another reason. Number three, I responded to all the comments, all of the comments, like literally each one. I don't know how the heck I did this. There's about 2000 comments almost responded to each one. The reason why I did that was because then I knew that the thousand people who commented on it would feel that their voice is going to be heard. That's why I respond to every comment. Because if someone takes 30 seconds to comment on your post, take 10 seconds to do so. Whether it's you, whether it's you have someone else do it, I don't know, right? So that's why I think another part of it, and that's actually the post that got me super popular at Cisco. Because people are like, yo, you're the guy who just started Cisco, right? Whenever I went to work. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, all the senior leaders kind of knew me at Cisco and stuff. So it was pretty cool. That is cool. Cool. Well, uh, the question that I ask all my guests that come on the show is what is your secret to profiting in life? All about the people you hang out with and associate with. I think that's very important because they reflect who you are, but then they also impact and influence how you react to things. Look at your five closest friends, look at the five closest people you associate with and think to yourself, are these people that ultimately reflect who I am? Think about those words, because if they are, then that's amazing. If not, then go find people who will also motivate you to be even better than you are today. I think that's what happened, especially early on in my, in my career. When I was a student, like a freshman, I didn't have the biggest influences. But then when I got on later on, I hung out with people who were more successful than me, which then inclined me to be successful and strive for success as well. So that's what I'd recommend to everybody. Last but not least, what I say, my favorite quote, if you never ask, you never know. And if you never ask, the answer is always no. So always remember to just ask. And the worst thing that can happen is they say no or they don't say anything at all. That's some great points right there. Lots of gems from you today, Jonathan. Thank you so much. And where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? Of course. So yeah, you, uh, if y'all are interested, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Javier. We have our website, wansulting.com with all our different services. We actually just released a course which is basically how to get into your dream career. And we go through the whole entire cycle uh, in regards to how to do it. So that was awesome. We just released it yesterday. Um, you can email us at hello at wantsulting.com. You can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, all those different ones. So yeah, uh, that's what I have to say. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or comment on YouTube, SoundCloud, or your favorite platform. Reviews make all the hard work worth it. They are the ultimate thank you to me and the Yap team. The other way to support us is by word of mouth. Share this podcast with a friend or family member who may find it valuable. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and check us out at youngandprofiting.com. You can find me on Instagram at yapwithhala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Hala Taha. Until next time, this is Hala signing off.